Good morning, and welcome to Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Mark your calendars because next week, Open House New York is hosting a boat trip that will allow you to experience parts of New York City few tourists or natives ever see. OHNY is taking people on a tour of the city's other islands, meaning not the ones we're all so familiar with, like Coney and Roosevelt Islands, though I'm guessing they will be a part of this tour as well. Narrating the tour will be Stuart Miller and Sharon Seitz, authors of The Other Islands of New York City, A History and Guide. Stuart is with us in the studio this morning. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning. Also with us is Ellen Ryan. She is the Interim Executive Director of Open House New York. Hello, Ellen. Hi there. Stuart, let's start with you. How many islands are there in New York City? Well, the thing we always like to say is it depends on how you count. I mean, we count islands like Coney Island, which was once an island, or um, Floyd Bennett Field, which was formerly Barron Island. They're former islands, so you have those. There are also islands in Jamaica Bay, for instance, that are islands at low tide, but at high tide, they're not. We don't count those. We've got about 42 in the book. I mean, again, certain ones, Goose Island in the Hutchinson River. It's about the size of your studio here, and some geese landed there once, and that's the whole story. Um, so that's an island, but but for the purposes of our storytelling, we don't really include that in there. Are all of the city's islands government-owned? South Brother Island is the um, has been the one privately owned island for many years. It was the um, most well-known owner was Jacob Rupert, who owned a brewery and owned the Yankees during the Babe Ruth era. He had a house out there, burned down, I think, about 103 years ago. Nothing's been on it since then, um, but it passed from, into different hands from several times. And the island is now part of this Harbor Heron Refuge, and so it's protected. There's also an island in the Bronx called Rat Island, which just was sold by one, it's privately owned, just sold by one guy to who'd owned it for years and done nothing with it to another a resident of City Island, which you know he could look out on Rat Island from his home and he bought it. You know, doesn't really have any plans for it other than to kayak the, out there. And maybe you know, how big is Rat Island? Also, pretty small. You know, I mean, it's a rock. In, in so you can't do much on it. <laughs> no, you can't do much. You can't do much. You know, you could dream about kind of things you could do with it, but there's it's really not not anything you're going to develop and and build upon. How did it get its name, Rat Island? A lot of these islands, there are various theories as to how they got their name, but two possibilities. One is the presence of rats. And, the easy yeah, answer. The, the other is that Hart Island, which is across from, a little further out from City Island in the, in the sound there, had a workhouse, had prisoners there in, in the 19th and even to the 20th century. And if you were going to try to escape and swim away, this would be a stopping point to kind of catch your breath. And so, the, you know, you could argue that maybe these people were rats, you know. But, um, you know, my guess is more just the uh, the, the actual The furry vermin. ones with the long tails. Yeah, exactly. Now, Hart Island is New York City's potter's field, right? Was it always a place to bury the friendless and the destitute? No. I mean, in fact, the, the potter's field started out in lower Manhattan. And as the city expanded north, the Potter's Field was always kind of pushed just outside the city limits. So you had it, you know, moved up to the village and then to where Bryant Park is and then the Waldorf. And then finally, in the 1840s, they decided, let's really kind of get it out of the way. And in the middle of the 19th century, the city was looking at not just Hard Island, but all of these islands as a place to deal with the city's undesirables, whether they were prisoners or the mentally ill, or in this case, the poor who had died destitute. Um, and so first they moved it to Randall's and Ward's Island, in the 1840s, and then in 1869, 
they moved it out to Hart Island, and it's been there ever since. And there are more than 800,000 bodies buried there. How accessible are these islands to New Yorkers? Well, something like Hart Island is not at all accessible. Um, unless you decide to get yourself arrested, go to Rikers, and then get yourself on the very small squad of people who are sent out there to, to do the burials, which is actually, by Rikers' standard, a, a good assignment because you're away from the other inmates and you're out in the open air. Obviously, Randall's Island is very accessible. I mean, it's kind of can be a pain to get to Randall's Island, but it's got a lot of activities and a lot for the public. Great Governor, ball fields. Great ball fields, Icon Stadium. You know, there's concerts there, tennis courts. Uh, um, a tennis, John McEnroe has a tennis academy there. The WTT plays there. Governor's Island has been transformed into this, you know, magnificent, tourist attraction and for locals as well as for tourists in terms of a park. Ellis Island, obviously, very accessible. So it depends. Again, Rikers Island is a, you know, gets a full chapter in our book. It's got a fascinating history. I don't recommend visiting. There are others. A lot of the islands that are bird refuges are off limits. People don't always obey that. And in fact, Shooter's Island, which is just north of Staten Island, was one of the islands that has not had bird activity in the last few years. And one reason the experts think is because there were people who would sneak out there and they'd light fires and barbecue and, you know, do things like that, and that it may have chased away the herons and the ibises and egrets who had come there. So you're not supposed to go out there. That doesn't mean that, that nobody does. Shooter's Island used to be a place for shipbuilding, right? Yes. In the early uh, 1900s, um, there was a major shipbuilding industry there. And the other place for with, you know that featured that was City Island, which was but actually began even earlier in the 1860s. And that lasted until about the 1950s or so. So City Island had a longer run and was kind of really a shipbuilding capital of America, whereas Shooter's Island kind of had this short run, World War One, and a little before and a little bit after, um, but in, in that general era. Ellen, let me bring you into the conversation because this coming Wednesday, you are bringing people as close as I guess you can bring them to some of these islands, right? Yes. We have a um, a fascinating boat tour on Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. It's a ticketed event, and you can go to www.ohny.org um, to, to purchase tickets. But we're thrilled to have Stuart and Sharon guide us as we uh, cruise up and down the East River and see and hear about these incredible islands. What inspired you to launch this boat trip? Well, first of all, Stuart and Sharon's uh, terrific uh, book on the subject. And also, we have a great tradition at OHNY of taking to the waters in, in the seasonable weather and you know, helping our New Yorkers and our audiences um, see the great great expanse of New York um, from a different vantage point. That's our specialty. Ellen, for those listening who are not familiar with Open House New York, give us a little bit of background on the organization. Um, Open House New York is a 10-year-old organization. We're happy to be celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. We are a non-for-profit whose mission is to explore and uh, relate New York's great architecture and design to audiences all over the city. Our uh, efforts culminate in Open House New York weekend. Uh, This year, it's going to be October 6th and 7th, and I invite everyone to join us for that terrific event. We have over 200 sites and 100 free programs, and uh, it's just a great celebration of New York's culture, history, architecture, and design. Is there a particular island that fascinates you most, Ellen? I think I have to say North Brother <laughs> Island. Um, that has got the most incredible history and the incredible vestige of architecture there uh, on the island. And we often work with a photographer, Christopher Payne, who's documented that island. Um, the images are incredibly haunting, and uh, it's, just, it's just an extraordinary place. 
Yeah, well, two things. One is I, I do think it's, you know, as m I think it's an amazing way to see New York is to see it from the water. Not just, we're going to talk about the islands, but you, you're seeing the whole city. I mean, you'll see Brooklyn and Queens and Manhattan. I mean, and it's just great. But it's funny, you know, with a book like this, people always have always asked us, well, what's your favorite island? And you kind of don't want to play favorites because, you know, you did all the research on all of them and you kind of love them all. But North Brother was always my favorite because it is such a um, bizarre and fascinating history. And among its uh, most notable things, I mean, this is where Typhoid Mary was kept for many, many years. And it's also where the General Slocum, uh, which was the worst disaster in the city prior to 9-11, you know, a ship that caught fire in the East River was with over 1,300 immigrants, mostly women and children, and it ended up beaching on North Brother Island, and the, the bodies were kind of laid out there at the end of the day, and, um, you know, so you had that. And then in the 50s, it had this very strange kind of final chapter, public chapter, where it was um, turned into a juvenile drug rehabilitation center and it was going to end drug addiction as we know it according to you know the mayor and the governor and it was terribly run and it turned into kind of a bit of a disaster but it did have its moments and some interesting parts I mean one of my favorite things is we found this guy Sherman Drexler who had been a teacher there and this guy Frank Lima who was a kid had been a drug addict and a pusher and was sent you know he was given the choice of jail or he can get shipped off to this island and he went to the island, and they had classes there because they were for, for kids. And Sherman was an art teacher, but he saw that Frank was passionate about writing. He let him sit in his class and write poetry. And Sherman was the kind of guy who would bring Elaine de Kooning out to, to the island. And you know, and he exposed these kids to all this stuff. And he managed to hook Frank up with, with Allen Ginsberg and with a bunch of other poets and get him a scholarship afterwards. And you know, it, he still struggled with the addiction for a while. Um, but he ended up being a published poet many times over, had four well-received books, and um, it was kind of a, an amazing, weird little success story found amidst the corruption. There was a lot of corruption there and amongst the guards, and, you know, there was fighting, and Frank would tell me about stories about kind of how it divided by race. And, you know, there's this, all this kind of um, amazing undercurrent to, to what went on there. And at the same time, another teacher there, a guy named Don Peterson, wrote a play about his um, experiences teaching these kids there called um, Does the Tiger Wear a Necktie? And it made its Broadway debut in 69. It only lasted 39 performances, but it um, was the Broadway debut of a young actor who was living on a fifth floor walk up on East 114th Street, a guy you may have heard of his name is Al Pacino. Mm -hmm. And so you can Yeah, I heard something yeah. about that guy. So, you know, it's like North Brother Island helped make Al Pacino, you know, and helped kind of save this guy Frank Lima's life. It's kind of an amazing story. Now, North Brother has a sibling island, South Brother yes. Island. How different are these two islands? Vastly different. Um, you know, Ellen talked about the architecture on North Brother, and when we go on the boat, people will be able to see some of these buildings. I mean, Typhoid Mary's cottage is gone, but there's a lot of this beautiful, these beautiful old buildings are still there. And it's a pretty big island. It had, you know, hospitals and stuff. South Brother Island is small, a fraction of the size. It had, you know, Jacob Rupert had built this summer house on there and that burned down in 1909. And then there's been nothing there since then. And the, um, the thing, the South Brother Island, you know, was most notable for, and we were talking about this earlier with Rat Island, is Rikers inmates would Often, you know, if you try to swim, escape and swim away, they 
end up trying to, and sometimes on South Brother Island. And I was talking at one point to a guy who was a um, a bird expert who was helping manage the Harbor Heron Refuge. And one year they went out there to do a count because South Brother Island is part of this refuge, and they were counting they count the eggs, just you know, their tracking patterns. And apparently they were wearing the clothes that they were wearing were the same color as. I think it was orange, is what the inmates were wearing on Rikers. So the guards must have spotted movement on the island and seen people dressed like inmates. And next thing these guys knew, they were facing right guards with their rifles drawn because they thought they were kind of coming to capture inmates and it was just a bunch of people counting bird eggs. Was, you know. <laughs> but other than that, not, not Watch much. Watch what you wear yeah, on but, South Brother Island. But not much other than that has ever gone on on South Brother Island. That's about the extent of it. Now, Rikers Island wasn't always called Rikers Island, correct? Well, it was, it was the Riken family owned it, so it kind of just got corrupted over time. You know, it wasn't as much of a change as Liberty Island it used to be Bedloe's Island for Isaac Bedloe, the Dutch merchant who owned it. But yeah, there was always the Riken family. You know, and a lot of these islands, we don't think about that, but these names, you know, Jonathan Randall owned Randall's Island, and the Ward brothers tried to build a mill on mill on Ward's Island, and you know, I mean, and the Riken family, and and Samuel Ellis had Ellis Island, and you know, so there there are all these connections to the past, to the very distant past, just through the names. But Riken, for some reason, is one of the ones that got corrupted over time. What's interesting about the history of Rikers Island besides the fact that it is home to the city's penitentiary? Well, I mean. The pen. One of my, I guess, my favorite story about it is in the days when it was being transformed into the penitentiary. You know, the penitentiary was originally on Blackwell's Island, what's now Roosevelt Island, and they decided they were going to move it to Rikers, and they were building this new, more modern facility. And but Rikers, when when it was bought from the Riken family, I think it was about eighty four acres in the nineteenth century, and the city began doing landfill on this and built it up to 400 acres to, you know, to make the prison. And while at one point they were doing this, they, they also had a workhouse on the island. So there were inmates who were doing the work, you know, some of the work there. But the, some of the inmates were raising pigs, and these pigs were being used to feed inmates at, at, not only in Blackwells, but in the tombs and kind of throughout the the city system. So it was kind of a good productive thing for them to be doing, both for themselves individually and for the city. But then the sanitation department that was overseeing the landfill operation was having a problem with rats. We keep coming back to rats for some reason, but with these really big rats. And they thought, well, what can we do? Well, let's bring out wild dogs and kind of like turn them loose and they'll go after the rats. The problem is if you're a wild dog and you're put on this island and you're like, well, there are rats kind of scurrying around in the garbage there or there are these big fat pigs penned up over here, what are you going to go for? So the the dogs wanted to go after the pigs, which led the corrections officers and the sanitation officers into an armed showdown. I mean, they didn't shoot at each other, but they were kind of, they you know, they squared off. And finally, the sanitation department backed down, removed the dogs, and used some leftover nitroglycerin from World War One to, you know, take care of the rats. So that's my favorite kind of pre-Rikers uh, prison story. Speaking of pigs, there's a hog island in the waters here in the Bronx, right? Were pigs on that island at one point in time? You know, I, it's not clear. Again, some of these get names because people thought the rocks were shaped a certain way. And um, I've even heard that, I think, said about Rat Island. You know, I mean, there's Cuban Ledge Island in the Bronx. Well, a lot of those little islands have unusual names. And 
sometimes the origins of them are not clear. Heart Island, even some people have said it's <clears throat> heart was a Middle English word for deer, and it was shaped like yeah. I mean, the, the shapes often are said to have given rise to the names more than what was there. Um, so you know, I don't think we can say for sure that there were hogs on on Hog Island. Are most of these islands naturally formed, or are many man-made islands? Well, it's New York, so there's a lot that was naturally formed, but, but landfill, of course, being, you know, is part such a part of the city's history is a very big part of, you know, the island's history. Not just Rikers, um, you know, Randalls and Wards were separate islands, and there was a third island called Sunken Meadow. And then Robert Moses wanted to build ball fields and stuff there, and couldn't get rid of a lot of the institutions that were there dating back to the 19th century. Um, and so he landfilled these islands together as a way to create extra acreage. Castle Clinton, which is um, now part of Lower Manhattan, but that was a rocky reef. It was an outcropping. They built it up. They used landfill to make it into an island, and built uh, the fort that you see was built out there. So it's kind of a man-made island that was built on landfill, and then they eventually, in the 1850s, used landfill to connect it to the rest of the city. Fort Lafayette, which was also built for the War of 1812, like Castle Clinton, um, in, in the Verrazano Narrows, was also it was just a rock, and they used landfill. They built it up and made so it was kind of a man-made island. There was something there, though. They didn't build it from scratch. Now it hosts a beam for the from, Verrazano Bridge, the Tower Bridge, of the Verrazano right? Bridge, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then um, Hoffman and Swinburne Islands, which are just beyond that, which were quarantine islands um, for um, people arriving, immigrants arriving, who had, say, yellow fever or um, typhoid, you know, that w- they were small when they were first built. And um, Hoffman Island, they added, you know, another nine acres. They built it up to nine acres with landfill. Ellis Island, you know, that whole Supreme Court fight a few years back about whether it belonged to New York or New Jersey. A lot of that revolved around the fact that Ellis Island, when the, in the 1834 agreement was made between New York and New Jersey about who controlled Ellis Island, it was a three-acre island. But when it became the Ellis Island that we think of, which is the immigrant depot, the, they added 24 acres of landfill. And ultimately, that was decided that that was, belonged to New Jersey and the main, where the building was, that belonged to New York, although it's all under federal jurisdiction. But again, so the landfill is all, it plays a part in a lot of these islands. Um, Coney Island was, like I said, was once an island. Floyd Bennett Field, where Barron Island was. These were islands, and, and the shift in contours of the city, you know, changed that. Same is true for Governor's Island as well. It's Governor, larger because of well, landfill. Well, Governor's Island is weird because it was it was 173 acres, and then due to erosion, it shrunk down, and then they built it back up. So it's not really necessarily bigger than it was a few hundred years hmm. ago, but it's bigger than it was, you know, you know, 100 years ago because it had shrunk over time. So it's, but yeah, they did use landfill there as well. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Boldarki. This morning we're talking about New York City's islands, the known and the lesser known. With us in the studio is Stuart Miller. Stuart and his wife, Sharon Seitz, are the authors of The Other Islands of New York City, A History and Guide. Stuart and Sharon will be narrating a boat tour of the city's islands this coming Wednesday. The event is hosted by Open House New York, and also with us in the studio is OHNY's Interim Executive Director, Ellen Ryan. Stuart, what prompted you to start doing this in the first place, documenting New York City's islands? Well, in a long time ago, in 1992, my um, family, we decided to go to Ellis Island for the day. My family had come through Ellis Island in the early 1900s, and it was just you know, kind of a fun outing. 
And I went and Sharon Seitz, my co-author on this, who's now my wife, we were dating at the time. We had met at Columbia Journalism School, and we went out there. And somehow we just started talking about the fact that she had written her master's at Columbia at, on Broad Channel, which is this kind of quirky island community out in Queens where the Jamaican Bay Wildlife Refuge is. And, and now we're at Ellis Island, and we're both journalists, and we both started saying, oh, wow, that's you know kind of cool. You never think about it, but maybe there's enough here for a magazine story. And we didn't even think about a book initially because so many of these islands were not, I mean, who, I look, I've spent my whole life in New York. Before I started doing this 20 years ago, I didn't know North Brother Island or Rat Island or Hoffman and Swinburne. I'd never heard of these these places. I mean, you knew Roosevelt and Coney and Ellis and Liberty. But, and so we started looking into it as this possible story. And we thought, wait, there's a lot here and there's enough here for a book. And so we started trying to sell it and... Sharon and I actually broke up, um, and we, but then we got a, a book deal, and we wrote the book while we were broken up, and then in, the book came out in 1996, and at our book party, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, you know, maybe we, we belong together, and so two years later when we got married, we figured it had to be on an island, and we got married um, at a yacht club on City Island, which kind of we felt was really fitting. Um, and it's been amazing to me, though, how much more, you know, not because of our book, but I think, as I said earlier, I think New York has returned to the waterfront, which had been closed off for so many years through great boat rides like Open House New York, but also through parks. I mean, the Hudson River Park doesn't have anything to do with our islands, but it's just an, another indication of, you know, the way people are accessing the water more than they used to. And that makes them look beyond the water's edge to these islands. And I think that you know, these days there's so much more awareness of it. It's kind of fascinating for Sharon and I to see that because when we started writing this, I think most New Yorkers wouldn't have been able to say North Brother was their favorite mm-hmm. other island because nobody would have known about it. And now there are more people out there, you know, that, that do know about it. You write in the book that in a city where change is the only constant, the northeast corner of the Bronx is an extraordinary reminder of New York as the Native Americans saw it, pristine and picturesque. You're specifically referring to Hunter and Twin Islands as areas still rich in natural beauty. But in fact, they're no longer islands, too, right? They're connected to the Bronx yeah, by landfill. Right, right. This is more landfill and more Robert Moses, of course. Um, he was, you know, building a parking lot for Orchard Beach, and he, you know, created that parking lot out of landfill and it connected it. But the weird thing about um, Hunter and Twin is, even though they're no longer islands, they feel more remote than some of the other ones, I mean, you can be standing on Roosevelt Island and you don't, you know, you really feel connected to the rest of the city. Here, you you really feel like you're somewhere else. I mean, there are two different ecosystems. Hunter Island is forest, and then Twin Island is these rocky um, outcroppings that you feel like you're kind of in Maine somewhere. And you can go from one to the other. Maybe not so much this time of year. I wouldn't go into Hunter can get very buggy in the summer. Um, but in the spring and the fall, it, it's just a great place to go. Um, there's, I know bird watchers love it, but it's a great place to take kids to scramble along the rocks. I mean, it's just, you know, they're, they're, the trails are are there, and but but on Twin Island, you don't even need the trails. You're just kind of like hiking, climbing along the rocks, and, you know, there's a lot to see there, and, and it's really beautiful. And then when you're done, you can either go to the beach or you can go to City Island just five minutes away, and then you have your choice of great restaurants, and there's, galleries. And so it's a, it is kind of cool because you can go right back into kind of city mode from there, but you really feel like you're somewhere else there as well. As you mentioned, most people are aware of your Roosevelt Island, your Coney Island, your City Island. Right. But what about those islands? Let's just take Roosevelt Island, for instance, do you think would surprise people? I think I think with Roosevelt, I think it's probably the, the history that would surprise people. I mean, 
these days Roosevelt Island is in the news because um, the mayor's this amazing and ambitious new plan to you know bring, make New York into this technological hub and you know the, this deal with Cornell and they're going to be building there. And there's you know architecturally to me Roosevelt Island is not an appealing place. You know the buildings erected you know from Philip Johnson. I mean, if you walk down Main Street there, it's kind of dark and, you know, and they've always had problems in terms of um, creating enough shopping because they didn't have enough people there. But on the other hand, people were wary of, you know, if it got too developed, they'd, you know, it would transform the nature of the island. So it's it's an unusual place. I mean, the, my favorite thing about going to visit Roosevelt Island, honestly, is the tram ride over is an amazing experience. And I think not, I think New Yorkers should just go and do that just to, you know, to go there. It's a great view of the city. It's a great view of the island. Um, I mean, I love the way they've preserved and reclaimed history. That they've propped up the the smallpox hospital that hasn't been stabilized, you know, as much as you'd like. But um, the Octagon Tower, which was um, part of the insane asylum in the nineteenth century, has now been transformed into luxury. You know, one part the remnants of it have been transformed into luxury housing. You know, so I, I think there's some neat ways that you know history is kept alive there and preserved. But I think that whole whole history of Roosevelt Island in the 19th century and into the 20th century and how it changed and evolved is a great story in terms of the way New York sees itself and sees its people. Because it was the first island that the city bought in the 1820s to put, the, when it was Blackwell's Island, to put the prison, the jail there. And then they just added institution after institution after institution um, so that there was an insane asylum. You know, none of these things had politically correct terms back then. You know, on Randall's Island, you had like the inebriates asylum and the idiots asylum and things like that. But there were 11 institutions there at one point. And you know, this is where Nellie Bly went undercover. And, you know, it was a horrible, horrible place. And in the early 20th century, people started talking about reclaiming these islands for the city because Randall's and Ward's had the, all these institutions and, and Roosevelt or Blackwell's rather, and, you know, and all these other ones and North Brother even. And what they decided was they were going to turn this into a hospital complex. But they had to change the name because Blackwell's Island had a, a stigma attached to it. So they wanted a, a positive-sounding name, something that would erase that stigma. So they changed it to Welfare Island, which I guess back then was a, sounded like a good idea. The hospital complex never got off the ground. And you know, fast forward to the late 1960s, and um, there's this plan to say, well, look, this land is doing nothing, and we could have people live there and build a community. At that point, 69, early 70s, the idea of trying to get people to live on someplace called Welfare Island, mm. not so appealing. <laughs> so they changed the name again, but they really did create, and it's had more of its struggles with this in recent years, but they really did create a place where you can have different class, you know, you had um, more upscale housing, you had Section 8 housing, you had stuff in the middle, and it really was this idea that it was going to be a great mix for all New Yorkers. And so I think it kind of became, you know, you can look at the way what the city was trying to do for its people in the 19th century, which was, hey, let's get the undesirables out of the way, to what they were doing by the middle of the 20th century. And now it's going to be this place for the 21st century where, you know, with this new technological focus that certainly seems in keeping with where we're heading. So it's kind of a cool place in, in that regard. Ellen, what has surprised you most about the city's island history? Well, I was just going to mention that um, with Roosevelt Island, they've got a new attraction that's uh, going to be opening up later this year, um, which is uh, the, the finally the resolution of sort of a dream deferred, which is the construction of the Four Freedoms Monument. Um, this was designed by Louis Kahn um, before he died in the 70s. And through uh, fundraising, both in the private sector and the public sector, they've been able to get this beautiful work uh, 
um, finally designed in construction and hopefully completed this this fall. So it's um, it's a construction tour we featured last year on our weekend, and we're pleased to see it happening this year as uh, completed. How do you discover all the things that you discover at OHNY? You know, we we have a terrific network of very loyal supporters at Open House New York, um, from our 700 volunteers who help us make the weekend happen in October, um, to a 20-member board that's um, architects, planners, uh, attorneys, everyone who's got a real passion for New York. We get unsolicited, you know, solicited and unsolicited ideas. Um, we keep our ears to the ground, um, but it's remarkable where ideas come from and how each year the, the weekend grows with, uh, with every passing year. And what are you hoping the takeaway will be for people who hop on board this boat trip? I think they'll have a, a real and new appreciation for the diversity of New York, for its history, um, also for its natural resources, I think that's something that Stuart mentioned, um, the bird sanctuaries that happen here, um, but also how far we've come in terms of integrating some of the social facilities that used to be sort of um, quarantined and outside of New York or more integrated with New York um, in this in this day and age, um, not as stigmatized. Um, so I think they're going to really see an, a window on a New York's present as well as its past, and uh, I think they'll really enjoy it. So, Ellen, people interested in getting on board the boat trip on Wednesday, how can they find out about it? They should go to our website, which is www.ohny.org. We have a program page, and they'll be led to our Eventbrite page, which they can purchase a ticket. But I urge them to do it fast because it's it's selling very quickly. Rain or shine? Rain or shine. Ellen, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, George. And Stuart, thank you. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Ellen Ryan with Open House New York and Stuart Miller, co-author of The Other Islands of New York City, A History and Guide. That's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Have a great weekend.